Almost everywhere Jesus went, huge crowds came to see and hear time he began teaching by a lake. The crowd became so big that he actually had to speak from a boat out in the water. Jesus often told stories called parables about everyday life that were symbolic of who God was and what it meant to live in God's ways. Jesus also performed many miracles everywhere he went. He healed sick people and even raised some from the dead. He could also control the weather. One time when Jesus and his followers were in a boat on a lake, a huge storm came in and the boat began to fill with water. Despite the storm blowing the boat around, Jesus was asleep. Panicked, his followers woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus stood up and commanded the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. And the storm was gone. Many people were amazed at the miracles Jesus performed, but the religious leaders called Pharisees started to question where Jesus got his power from. At one point, they even accused him of getting power from the devil. King Herod was also fearful of Jesus. A short time earlier, Herod had thrown John the Baptist in jail. He wanted to kill John, but knew that he was a holy man and feared what might happen if he did. Then one day, Herod's daughter was dancing and entertaining Herod's guests at a banquet. Herod was pleased with her and told her she could have anything she requested. Herod's wife stepped in, telling their daughter that she should request the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod was fearful, but what could he do? He had promised to give his daughter what she requested. And so he had John beheaded, and the executioners brought his head into the banquet. As Jesus' fame grew, King Herod began to worry that Jesus would bring John back from the dead. Even Jesus' followers began to have second thoughts about him. But his 12 closest followers stuck by Jesus for what was sure to be tough times ahead. Back in 2013, there was a study that was done by Christianity Today, and here's what they found. They found, ready for this? 79.5% of Americans self-identified as being Christians. So almost 80% of people living in the United States self-identified as being Christians. But if you, if you scratched a little bit below that surface, what you find is that their perspective on Jesus is not what the church has historically believed. The, if you scratch below the surface, their understanding of who Jesus really is is not what we believe from the Bible as Christians, Reformed Christians. And so what we're going to see here this morning is who Jesus really is as we see in the Bible. So what do people believe about Jesus? Well, let me just share a few of you, a few of these. Some would say that Jesus was simply a great philosopher who taught people how to truly love others. Now, that is certainly true. Jesus, by his life demonstration, 
by his teaching, he taught us a new level of loving one another. But he was more than that. He was greater than that. He wasn't, he wasn't just a great philosopher. Others would say that Jesus was a great teacher who had an incredible ability to move people with his truth. Now, that is certainly true, and we'll see that today, but Jesus was more than just a great teacher. There are great teachers in the world. There are great philosophers in the world. Jesus is more than any of those. Some others would say that Jesus is a life insurance policy. Now, let me explain what that means. I should say an eternal life insurance policy. So I go to church or I say that I believe and I put that card in my pocket so that day in which I die, I'm assured that I'm going to heaven. So that's their understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But it's more than that. Because if Jesus is who he claims to be, then he claim, his claim is that he is in authority over our lives, over all that we do, all that we think, how we live. We go on and we see that some people believe that Jesus had great ideas, but he became the victim of evil, and his life ended tragically. Now, we believe that it was tragic what happened to Jesus on the cross, but we also believe that Jesus was not a victim of that evil. He was not a victim of the cross. Rather, he chose the cross because of his love for his Father in heaven and his love for you and me, that we might have freedom in Christ as we've never known it before. Now, friends, what I want to share with you this morning is that the vision and the image that people have of Jesus is often very different from what Jesus himself claimed to be. What we're going to see this morning is that Jesus was no ordinary man. Rather, as we see in the Bible, as we saw just a few weeks ago, Jesus is God in human flesh. What do I mean by that? It means that he was fully human and at the same time fully God. Now, can I explain that? No. It's a mystery of how the two natures could coexist. But Jesus, fully human. Jesus, fully God. He was no ordinary man. This morning, we want to look at two ways in which he was extraordinary. As we look at those two ways, what we want to do is ask this question, if this is true about Jesus, how should it affect the way that I live? If this is true about who Jesus is, as the Bible teaches, as we believe the Bible teaches, then how does it impact my life? So here's the first thing that I want you to see this morning. Jesus was an extraordinary teacher. He was an extraordinary teacher. I love this verse that comes, first of all, and you don't see it on the screen, but it comes from Matthew 7 at the very end of the great sermon of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. This extraordinary sermon. Beth and I had an opportunity to be in Israel um, a few years ago, and we were on the very area where Jesus would have preached the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, along with about 15 other people, we read the Sermon on the Mount together. And I remember it striking me at the very end. Listen to what it says. Uh, this is Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, 
the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And here's why. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now that struck me because the teachers of the law had authority given by people. Their authority was from human beings. So what does he mean as one who had authority? Not like the teachers of the law. He had authority that came from God himself. He spoke in terms of authority. And, and authority simply means the right to give orders to another person. The right to speak into the life of another person. With truth. With power. With significance. And so when we hear the teachings of Jesus which is, remember Jesus only spoke what he heard the Father saying. When he spoke these words, they were infused with the power of God himself. They knew there was something different from the authority from which these teachers of the law spoke, these religious leaders spoke, which came from, from men, that their authority came from men, but the authority of Jesus came from God himself. Now, friends, I think that has incredible implications for how I read the teachings of Jesus. I believe when I read the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Jesus that I am reading the power of God, words that are infused with the authority of God. That has implications. And here's the first point. The purpose of the extraordinary teachings of Jesus is that lives would be transformed. Now what does that mean? It means that your life would be different because you receive his words that come to you with authority and you adjust your life accordingly. You change your life accordingly because these words have authority over you and how you live your life. I want to ask you this morning, when you read the Bible, is that your sense, that these words have authority over my life? I think what happens to many of us, we read the Bible and we just say, yeah, that's okay, that works for me. No, that doesn't really work for me. And so we have two categories, that which works in my life and that which is a little too challenging and I don't really want to do it. And we just separate them. If we believe that the words of God have authority, then we will lay our lives before them and allow his words to transform and change us forever. Amen? Not a lot of conviction in that amen, that that's okay. I'm not done with you yet. So listen to what we read just in one example. I love this story. Jesus, a woman has been, the religious leaders hated Jesus for lots of reasons, but primarily because of his claim to be God in human flesh. And so Jesus is claimed to have authority. Jesus had authority given by God. And so the religious leaders wanted to derail Jesus. They wanted to get him in trouble. So they set this woman up and they caught her in the act of adultery. And it, was, it, it reads like a setup. And then they drag her before Jesus she has very little clothing on. There's no question as to her guilt. 
She is guilty. And so they try to trick Jesus. They said, what should we do with her? You know what the, uh, the, the teachings of Moses said, that she should be stoned to death. And Jesus, during this whole time in which they are bringing a charge against this woman, Jesus has a stick and he's just writing on the ground. And then the power of this encounter. This woman, Jesus looks up at her and he says, where, um, he says, let her, let him who is without sin throw the very first stone. So if your life is perfect before God, then you can throw a stone at this woman. So if anybody tries to stone her, what are they saying? I'm without sin. He's, he's turned it back on them. And Jesus looks at her and says, woman, where are they? As the crowd disperses, is there no one left here to accuse you? Now, people usually pay attention to that statement. The power of this encounter comes now. Listen to what he says. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? There's no one left here to condemn you. No one, sir, she said. They're all gone. And here's the power of it. Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, he restores this woman. He saves this woman. But he doesn't leave her in this life of brokenness. He doesn't leave her in this life of strife and struggle. He says, woman, I do not condemn you. No one is left here to condemn you. Neither do I. I do not condemn you. God in human flesh looking at this woman who is caught in the act of adultery. And he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now go in the freedom of this grace and live in a new way. Friends, I want to ask you this morning. Do you need to hear those words of authority in your life? Then neither do I condemn you, God said, but go and live in a new way. I am saving you for a reason. I am saving you for a purpose, that you would be transformed, that you would live in a new way. God wants to transform you. He wants to transform me. He wants us to live in a new way. I've always loved this quote from C.S. Lewis. Some of you know C.S. Lewis, a very famous Christian author that uh, lived uh, in the last century. Listen to this picture that he paints. I want you to think about this being your life. Imagine you, yourself, as a living house. God comes in to your life to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You know that those jobs need to be done, and so you're not surprised. But after a while, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he doing? The explanation, you ready for this, is that he is building quite a different house from the the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You see, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace because he intends to live in that place. Isn't that a beautiful picture? 
I see my life as a house. And I think I know what God wants to do, and so I have expectations, but God wants to do profoundly more than I ever dreamed or imagined. And sometimes it's painful because he confronts me. Sometimes it's painful because as I read his word, I, I know and discern the voice of God saying, that's you. You need to change. You need to be different. You need to be more. Friends, God is saying that to each and every one of us this morning. God has a vision for your life that goes beyond anything you ever imagined. Our responsibility is to allow God to transform us and to change us. Our responsibility is to put ourselves in a place where God can challenge us, where God can transform us, where God can take areas of our lives that we actually think we're okay in and say, I want to do something beautiful in that area of your life. I love that. Some of you know that uh, I've talked over, over the years about um, something that I call space pets. Space pets, and some of you keep this in your Bible, and we're going to publish it in the bulletin next week. Don't let me forget, Larissa. Yes. She just gave me the big thumbs up. She's about two-thirds of my brain. Space pets. These are questions I ask whenever I read the Bible. The S. Is there a sin to confess? The P. Is there a promise to claim and to live upon? A. Is there an attitude that I have that needs to be changed? C, is there a command I'm reading in the scripture that I need to obey? E, is there an example to follow or not follow? P, is there a prayer to pray? Yesterday, uh, Beth and I were with our two granddaughters. And we, um, we gave them a Build-A-Bear. And on the uh, foot of the Build-A-Bear was their name and a passage that we're praying into their life. Is there a prayer to pray? Yeah, there's a lot of them. And we're, we're praying those prayers into the lives of our granddaughters. And I love it. Some of you know when we do baptisms here, we pray a prayer into the life of the child. There's power in the word of God. There's power in those words. There's authority in those words. And we pray those words in the lives of those that God brings along our path. E, is there an error to avoid. T, is there a truth to believe? And S, is there something that we can praise God for? And so when I read the Bible, as you know, as I've shared with you before, I keep reading until I sense God is speaking to me. And sometimes it's just a verse, sometimes it's a paragraph, sometimes it's a chapter, sometimes it might be more than a chapter, or rarely it is. And I've got space pets in my head. And I'm thinking through, God, what do you want to say to me? How do you want to transform me? How do you want to build a new wing in my heart, in my life? Where do you want me to make me more like Jesus? And friends, what you will see when you do this is over time, you are being transformed. You are being made new again by the power of the word of God. There is authority in the teaching of the Bible. There is authority in the words of Jesus. So what did Jesus do? What did he do? How did he do this? Well, first, he comforted the afflicted. Now, most of the people at the time of Jesus were afflicted. They were afflicted by the Roman Empire that taxed them. 
They were afflicted by the religious community that put all sorts of pressure on them. They were afflicted in so many different ways, socially, physically, in, in terms of their health, and just trying to survive. They, were, they struggled. Most of the people in that day struggled. And Jesus comes to them, and he says these incredible words, come to me, come to me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And when you do this, you will find rest for your souls. Now, how does that transform me? When I am harried, when I am pressured, when I am afflicted, I am reminded that I am in the hands of the God who loves me. The God who wants to bring comfort and strength to my life. I am in the hands of the one who comforts me in all the places that I am living. And when I am reminded of who I am, loved by the God who knows me more than anybody will ever know me. Accepted by the God who accepts me as I am, but has a vision for what I can become. When I I'm reminded of those realities. It empowers me. It empowers me to live a life that seeks to honor God in the midst of my afflictions, in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my hurt, in the midst of my pain. That is the beauty of what we see in this incredible teaching of Jesus. But he also, he afflicted the comfortable. He did both. What does that mean? Well, what Jesus did was he challenged people who needed to be challenged to change. And we see that, for example, here in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, the religious community, the religious elite had taken the, the Ten Commandments of God and they had sorted them out so that we could live them without ever obeying God. And so Jesus says, no. The commandments show us your need for God, your need for a Savior. So they were proud of the fact that they had never murdered, killed anybody. They were proud of the fact that they had never committed adultery. And then Jesus says to them, it's more than just not being with, being with someone who's not your spouse. If you have ever lusted after someone in your heart, you have already committed adultery with them. So he takes their self-righteousness, and he puts a pin in it and explodes. You cannot be self-reliant. You cannot be self-righteous. Righteousness is only found in faith in the Savior that came and died for us. It's not enough that you have never physically murdered someone. Have you ever hated someone in your heart? You have already murdered them in your spirit. You are guilty of the commands of God. So why would Jesus afflict the comfortable? Seems kind of mean, doesn't it? Makes them feel bad. And we know in America today, we don't want anybody to feel bad. He did it because he loved them. He does it because he loves you and he loves me. He does it because he knows that there's so much more for us in this life if we lived in obedience to him. And so the question becomes, are we going to trust 
his love for us in such a way that we are willing to say no to our natural inclinations, to our natural human sinfulness, and say yes to God's holiness and to seek to live a life that honors and pleases him. How do we do that? Well, we read the Bible, and I'm reading, and I use my little Space Pets acronym, and I, whoa, wow, God is speaking to me. You know, for a lot of years, I've been really angry at this person for what they did to me so many years ago, and I realized that I am murdering them in my heart and my spirit, even though they're not my life anymore. I'm so bitter and angry for what they did. Oh God, I can't let go of that. I can't. But God, I invite you to come and to transform me and to change my heart. I can't make myself someone who loves, but God, you can come by your spirit, knock that wall of bitterness down. And Lord, build a wall that says, I don't understand what that, why that person did it, but God, I'm free from that bitterness. Do you see how that sets us free? Do you see how that makes us more the people that God wants us to be? I want to ask you this morning, are you letting the word of God afflict you when you're comfortable and comfort you when you're afflicted? Here's a third area I want you to see. And that, uh oh, I always, I'm sorry, I'm hitting the wrong buttons here. Jesus used stories and common truths. I don't want to, I was going to say a lot more about this, but let me just say this. Friends, Jesus spoke in common language. Now, you and I, 2,000 years later, we read it and we're a little confused because a lot of it's agricultural language. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty much a city boy. I remember one sermon because we had a lot of farmers in my last church, and I remember throwing out some illustration I had no idea what boy they let me know I had no idea what I was talking about when it came to agriculture so what does it mean it means sometimes we have to dig deeper into the Bible to learn there are a lot of great study Bibles that you can find that will explain what what Jesus is saying it just means we take do a little extra work but it's worth it it honors God and it sets us free now here's the second oh I just want to um this is a great passage, but I'm not going to take time to do it. Let's look at this second area. The setting of the extraordinary teaching of Jesus. You saw it in the video this morning. There were three areas. Number one, it was the area of the crowds. Well, I'll give you all three. The crowds. Jesus spoke to the crowds, but he never pandered to the crowds. He wasn't like politicians today, saying to this crowd what they wanted to hear, then saying to this crowd what they wanted to hear, and this crowd what they wanted to hear, and this crowd what they wanted to hear. Jesus spoke truth, regardless of how people responded to the truth. He afflicted the comfortable, even though they didn't like it. In fact, there's one example, an incredible example, in John chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about who he is. And chapter 6, verse 66 says, And from that moment on, many of his disciples followed him no more. Do you hear that? They left him because they didn't like what he was saying. It made them uncomfortable. He was afflicting them in their, in their life, and they didn't like it. 
He wasn't what they had tried to paint him to be. And he told them who he was, and they weren't ready for that. And so many walked away. His other disciples, the 12, came to him and said, Jesus, people aren't liking this. This is teaching is too hard. So what did Jesus do? You read on, and it says, Jesus stood up, and he said basically the same thing again. Why would he do that? Because he knew the greater danger is that people would misunderstand who he really was. People want to make Jesus into an image that is comfortable for them. An image that works in our culture. An image that makes us feel good. Jesus loves us too much to let us do that. He wants us to know who he really is. That we would love Jesus as he really is. It's an extraordinary thing. Jesus never pandered to the crowds. The individuals. Jesus built into individuals. You see that time and again where Jesus has encounters with individuals. And But third, and this is where Jesus spent most of his time. He was ministering to the disciples in a small cluster. He had 12 that he really built into and then from beyond that, even three that he built into even more. Now, I think there's something powerful about that picture that God has painted for us. Jesus only had time to build into so many people that the work of the kingdom would continue after the Holy Spirit, after his death, ascension, and the Holy Spirit would come. He knew that he had to build in the three plus years that he had with these disciples, he had to build them into something that they would be able to be, remain faithful after he was ascended into heaven. Friends, I want to ask you this question. Who are you building into? Who are you building into? There is a group of us on staff that are working to develop a comprehensive approach to discipleship at Cross Point Church. And one of the things that we, we talked about this last Thursday when we met, or a week ago Thursday, we met for a full day together, was this. The primary responsibility of discipling our children are the parents and the family of those children. What we can do in the church is to add to what you are already doing. Now, why do I say that? Because what we see is, what we read is just a very small, small, tiny portion of what the disciples actually saw. When I go to uh, be with the Lord, one th I, put him, I want him to put me in a, in, a, um, in a theater and show me the picture, the, uh, a movie of all the things that happened in the life of Jesus. Every moment. Because this is just a little piece, a little tiny piece of, of all that went on. What I have found, friends, is that faith is not just taught, but it is caught. Now, what do I mean by that? Yes, we teach truth. But truth is often seen in the lives of the people that they love and respect. So a child growing up in your home, they are watching you. And if what you are doing is inconsistent with what you are saying, they are more likely to do what you do than to do what you say. We have a responsibility to teach, not just with our words, but with our decisions and our choices and the, the, the things that we do moment by moment by moment. There is great power in that. 
and your children and your grandchildren are watching everything that you are doing. You are not just teaching by your words, you are teaching by your lives. When you make an excuse as to why you can't be in church, your children and your grandchildren are watching that that Sunday. They're seeing that. And that molds and shapes them even more powerfully than your words. And so in small community, we have an opportunity to to have our faith transferred by not just by what we say, but by what we do, how we respond to people, how we love people, how we love God, the disciplines of our walk with God. I can't tell you how many times an adult has said to me, I was so struck by the way my my mom or my dad every morning got up early and was reading the Bible at the kitchen table or wherever or praying and I saw that every day and it changed me and now this adult is now living out that same discipline because it was modeled for them what do our children and the next generation need to see they need to see in us adults that our faith is authentic that our faith is real, that our faith is genuine, that we really do love God, that we're not just going through the motions of faith, but that we love God and we have given our lives to him. And so finally, I want to I just share this. What we see is the power of Jesus. You saw it in the video. There are so many great stories of Jesus doing extraordinary things. Here's one. Jesus is in control over nature. He calmed the storms. I remember when we were going on a boat across the Sea of Galilee, and boy, that's really a small body of water. I was not nearly as impressed when I saw it. But we were going across the Sea of Galilee, and about halfway over, we, they stopped, and we, we read about this miracle that you saw on the video this morning where Jesus calmed the storm for the disciples. Can you imagine being there and seeing that? Jesus speaking and the storm going away? Jesus had control over nature. Jesus, too, had control over sickness. He healed people of their infirmities, their diseases. He took them away. He healed them. That's extraordinary to me. And you know what, friends? Well, I'll share that in a moment. He's also sovereign over death. He's in control even of life and death. You see, God takes the dead and he raises them to life. It's an amazing, it's an amazing truth. So what does that mean for us as we live our lives? Friends, when I pray, I know this God. That's the God I'm praying to. The God who has control over nature. The God who has control over sickness. The God who has control over death. That's the God I'm praying to. Now, he may not do what I'm asking him to do because what matters is not my agenda for life. What matters is what he is wanting to do for the sake of the kingdom of God. 
My first love is not my life. My first love is the kingdom of God and what it is that God wants to do. I love him. And I'm committed to his plan and his purpose. And sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it hurts. Because I know that God has the power to speak his word and to bring life. When my mom was dying, I prayed for her. And she died. But I knew that she was in the hands of God. I knew that God was going to use even her death for great things. And I know, I know, as much as I know that you're sitting out there this morning, I'm going to be with my mom one day because she loved Jesus and put her faith in Jesus for salvation. Friends, when I know that he is in control of all things, I have confidence in coming to him and praying boldly. And I have confidence when his answer is no, that his plan is better than my plan. It may hurt. It may be hard. But deep down, I am convicted that he is right. I'm going to close with this. What do we do with all of that I've talked about this morning? And next week, we're going to continue looking at the life of Jesus. We're, if you're visiting, we're doing a series, 31-week series from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, all the way through Revelation. And this morning, I believe we're on week number 24. Okay, I'm just guessing. Just between you and me. But I wanted you to hear this this morning. I want you to hear this. Earlier, I read a quote from C.S. Lewis, where he's talking about people uh, he, he's talking about what it is that Jesus wants to do in our lives. He wants to make our lives into something completely different from what we anticipated. And I want you to hear what he said in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. He argues that given the claims Jesus made by himself, about himself, and, and we'll see some of those next week, given what Jesus said about himself, he was either a liar meaning that he knew what he was saying wasn't true, but he still believed it was true. Or he was, second option is that he's a lunatic, that he believed these claims were true, but they really weren't true. Or number three, he is Lord. What he said is true. Friends, I want to ask you this question. What do you believe about the claims of Jesus? He, was, he either lied to us, or he was crazy, or he is Lord of the universe. And then he goes on to say, so let's just forget about all this talk about what a great teacher is, what a great philosopher, what a great life to emulate, because one of those three has to be true, because of the remarkable claims that he made about himself. Friends, I believe he is Lord. That's why I've given my life to what I do. That's why I give my life to praying for the kingdom of God for, to, be re, to be released in powerful ways in our community, in our church, in our world. This is why I work as hard as I work to move the church forward. Because Jesus is Lord. He is who he claimed to be. And he's my authority. And I lay my life before him. 
and say, Jesus, whatever you want to do in me and through me and with me, I'm yours. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. All of us can do that. And then you can become his witness, his ambassador in your home, in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your extended family. And you can see God do things that you never dreamed you would ever see because he has authority. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word that speaks, that transforms, that empowers, that strengthens. We believe, Lord, that you have authority. And your authority, Jesus, comes from the Father. We believe that you are sovereign over all things and control of all things. And things happen that we don't understand. And yet, Lord, we see you build something beautiful out of ashes. Oh, God, we give our lives anew to you this morning. We give to you every aspect of our lives, our children, our spouses, our parents, our friends, our homes, our vehicles, our careers, our dreams, our ambitions, our desires. We give all of that to you. And we say, Jesus, be Lord of all. I pray for your people that they would come to love you and to allow your word to be an authority over them. For the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen.